taking our Bibles this morning then and turning to Romans in the chapter 15. Romans in the chapter 15. With the Word of God open before us, let's just ask for the Lord's blessing as we launch out into another year of ministry, as the Word of God is read and declared even in our assembly once more, may the Lord do something new, do something special, even in our hearts and lives, not only today, but throughout the course of this year in His will. Let's just commit ourselves to the Lord, please. Lord, we do come afresh to Thee. We do recognize and identify that without Thee we can do nothing. We recognize and identify, O Lord, that except Thy blessing is upon even the preaching of Thy Word in this assembly, that, O Lord, our our gatherings time after time will be but in vain. And so at the outset of another year in which Thou hast called us to be faithful, in which Thou hast commanded us to preach and to teach the Word, we pray that our hearts will be directed to Thee, that each of our ears truly would be open, that we would be willing one and all to do that which thy word commands. And may, be, may the word guide our fellowship even this incoming year. May the word conquer all vices and enemies and overthrow wickedness and tear down strongholds amongst us this year. May thy word save souls to the uttermost, even as it's preached and declared to the sinners far and near. Have thine own way. Be pleased, O Lord, to use the teaching and the preaching of thy word. And this year we pray, but we come especially for this hour. We ask, O Lord, to bless us and to help us. Be pleased, O Lord, to be near to us. Minister to our hearts and to our needs. And have the preeminence, we pray. So hear our prayer. Give that grace where it is needed. Give that strength in my weakness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Reading together from the verse 14 of the chapter, Romans chapter 15, beginning our reading at the verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all round about unto Aquilium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, they have not heard, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. 
But now I go on to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And it pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen and amen. Now as we come to this meeting this morning, we come to the end of our study that we've entitled our Rubies and Romans. This is the last ruby that we submit to you this morning as we come to consider the verses that we've read together. Our journey has seen us take in the rubies of to them that patiently continue, reminded us to be fully persuaded, and given us that hope and expectation that God has promised to us much more. It's reminded that all of this is ours to glean from and indeed to cherish because of that but now moment in our own experience. The but now of freedom, being released from the bondage of captivity and the chains of sin. The but now of fruit, that command that we are to be fruitful to do the work of the Master and to do it the way that He has commanded us to do it. The but now of fellowship, realizing, recognizing, and identifying that we are now one in the body of Christ and thereby not only enjoy fellowship one with another, but also with the Son, Jesus Christ. And then we looked at that but now, what now? That challenge that as we've reflected on all of these truths, how are these things going to change us? How are they going to motivate us? How are they going to spur us on? We've looked at how we are to live peaceably. The simple, practical application of truth in our lives should see us living peaceably one with another. We were reminded last time to have hope. Yes, we're in a world where hope is hard to find. Hope is that which and truly is difficult to see at times whenever you and I are so overwhelmed by the circumstances, but yet there remains this truth. We have a hope that this world cannot take away. So we come to the last. It's found for us at the end of verse 32. Two words again. Be refreshed. Be refreshed. A state of desire the Apostle Paul here is that he might know and experience refreshing. He is one who has labored faithfully in the service of the Lord. He has embarked upon missionary journeys that have saw him even meet many different people and overcome many different trials and temptations. He has known physical harm. He has known danger. And indeed, as he is continuing to do that which the Master has called us to do, he is one who we could rightly say has traveled the miles, has walked the path, and indeed has spent the time and the energy on feeling in the service of the Lord. And so readily we identify one who could quite accurately say that he's weary, he's tired, 
He knows what it is to have overcome much and to have spent much time, endeavor, and energy in the work of the Lord. And so he states this desire that as he writes to these believers at Rome, that he might know what it is to come unto them and to be refreshed. Notice at the outset where this refreshing was to be found. It was to be found amongst the believers at Rome. This refreshing wasn't the taking in of the sights and sounds of Rome. It wasn't by frequenting the cafes or the landmarks. For Paul here speaks of a refreshing beyond that provided by a break or by a holiday. Paul is speaking of a spiritual refreshing. A rest for the spirit. A rest for the mind. A rest only found by the people of God with like-minded people of God. Now, mistake me not, I'm not rolling up on the first Sunday of 2022 and pouring cold water on all of your plans to get away this year. I'm not saying that it's wrong in any way to plan a little trip or a holiday. Indeed, if you can get one, I encourage you to do your very best to get one. And so I'm not saying that it's wrong to ski the slopes in Austria or to surf the waves in Portugal. It's not wrong to desire to eat paella in Spain or to take a siesta in Tenerife. None of these things are wrong. But this is not what the apostle here is striking at. For we, yes, we all know and we all identify the benefits of a good holiday. And yes, very often we all come to the point where we need one. But the focus of the apostle and the focus of the Word of God by default then this morning is not upon the physical, upon purely the spiritual. All across the world today, there are believers who are spiritually weary. For many years, they've labored tirelessly and faithfully in the service of God. But today, if they were to open up to you, I know many of them would say, like one old saint of God that I was with recently, and he just said, I'm so tired. would have surprised you to know who the individual was based upon the work that they've been involved in. Nevertheless, the testimony was, I'm so tired. The Word of God is not ignorant to this reality in our lives. And as we read the life of Christ, we see Him come to the well of Samaria and sit down there. Why? Because He was weary. Christ identifies with physical tiredness. We were reminded through Richard this morning, the boys and girls were reminded that Christ identifies with the different stages of life. So too, he identifies with the different struggles of life. He identifies with physical tiredness. But also in Mark's gospel, we read on two separate occasions that Christ sighed and that he sighed deeply. In John's gospel, the apostle records that he groaned in his spirit. These were instances when the battle was real. The frustrations were many. So Christ identifies with spiritual weariness. What are we to do with such a reality? When we're faced with that spiritual battle, that spiritual weariness that comes to us all, and yes, very often sometimes predicated because of all the physical weariness and tiredness that we allow to amount in our lives. Well, what are we to do? 
No doubt a survey in a church like ours would produce a variety of responses. But the themes of these responses would undoubtedly go along these lines. Some would say they need to suck it up. Christians are called to be warriors, not wimps. That's the attitude of some. Others would say, haven't they read the Bible? Where Paul says in Galatians, let us not be weary in well-doing. They need to keep going. They need to be biblical Christians. There'd be others who perhaps say, well, we need to take the time to break it all down, to understand the individual, to understand the trigger points that bring on this weariness, bring on this tiredness. All of these points have a certain validity about them. But what they together do is simply highlight the disconnect between life and and a practical understanding and a practical application of biblical truth. I say that because you and I very often approach such instances, circumstances, and realities in our lives, and most especially in the lives of others, based upon our understanding of devotional truth. We read the Word of God, and we understand what it's saying, and we apply it completely, readily, but inaccurately to every situation we come to. You see, we're not wrong to say that you're to endure hardness like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, not at all. We are called to be warriors. You're not wrong to say, don't be weary in well-doing, for the Bible says we shall reap if we faint not. But how do those statements affect our lives? How do those statements change our lives? Simply to rehearse them is doing nothing more than to apply a band-aid to the situation. Simply to rehearse them is to state a cold, hard truth that many who face those circumstances, who know that reality, aren't able to take, aren't able to receive. It's akin to speaking to the father or the mother who's just lost the child and saying, God's ways are perfect. We know they are. But holding that child in that moment... How many of us really could believe that? And yes, a process of time will pass and our understanding of these things will grow, especially for those of us who are children of God. But nevertheless, in that moment, that cold truth is nothing more than another blow because it's only devotional at best. I submit to you that the only way that you and I can truly overcome, win, prevail, get up and go again, is to apply devotional truth in conjunction with revolutional truth, truth that changes our lives. 
It's revolutional truth that truly will make the difference. It's revolutional truth that cuts through the noise and the challenges. It's revolutional truth that sees us take our part in the biblical story and allow us to live out biblical truth and to fully implement it in all of our lives and to see it also implemented in the lives of others. As we come together as believers, we must understand then that a purpose for what God has intended, assemblies like ours, is not to simply repeat devotional truth. It's to see revolutional truth have its place in this assembly and find its place in your life. It's to identify that weariness, struggles, trials, tears, questions come to us all. But it's to identify that it's only by a true understanding of the Word of God that lives are changed. So when it comes to this matter of spiritual weariness, spiritual discouragement, the Bible points us to this, that whenever a believer experiences such a moment, such a season in their lives, what they need above everything else is to be refreshed. To be refreshed. In order for refreshing to occur, Paul highlights two groups of people, the church member and the church minister. He identifies the importance of the relationship between the two so that spiritual refreshment might be known and experienced each and every time. And so as we enter 2022, can I beseech you each and every one who calls this assembly your church home. Let this be the guidebook to how we live and behave this year. And may this be a place where lives are revolutionized, where spirits are refreshed, and where the Word of God prevails. Let's look at each of those three things and turn to two groups and in the special relationships let us notice the mark of a good church. The mark of a good church. Verse 14 he says, I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness. The first mark of a good church is that it's full of goodness. There's no doubt in my mind that the apostle here is striking up moral goodness. That goes without saying. A church should have moral goodness within it. It should seek to uphold moral goodness in the life of its nation. It should seek to promote moral goodness within the lives and the homes and the families that participate in the ministry of that church. But much more than that, the goodness that's been referred to here is not just the moral goodness that should be identifiable in every place that's called a church, called an assembly of local baptized believers, but also the practical goodness that must be the testimony of the life of a true believer. Kindness, thoughtfulness, those simple acts, those simple words that have huge ramifications. 
allow huge influence to be gained and huge strength to be known. You remember that the apostle is one who has already stated, in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. And so goodness as it's found in your life, goodness as it's found in the life of an assembly, is always the hallmark of the work of the Spirit. It's named amongst the fruits of the Spirit that we mentioned last week as we came to consider the subject of humility. We know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. So if we are living Spirit-filled lives, if we are knowing what it is to die to the flesh and to overcome the flesh, then goodness will be seen in your life and in mine. Another mark of a good church is filled with all knowledge. That filled with all knowledge implies to us, yes, an understanding of what is true. That's the beginning of knowledge for us all. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding God more and more. Coming to understand more of His Word, how He works in our world, how He works in our lives. That's how our knowledge increases time after time. But also it conveys the idea not only of that knowledge that we must possess, but the unmovableness, the unshakableness of that knowledge. The fact that we are fully convinced brings us back to one of the rubies, does it not? Fully persuaded that you and I in our own hearts and our own lives and how we live and interact with each other within this local assembly, we are unmovable and unshakable in the truth. Oh yes, many things will enter in. And 2022 is filled with days and hours and moments when so many of us we'll go through trials and troubles and valleys. We don't know what tomorrow brings. But being full of knowledge, being part of an assembly in which that knowledge of God, that unmovable knowledge, that unshakable knowledge of God, of how He works and of His purposes and plans for your life, for mine, and for our world remains unchanged, then that allows us to practically live out our Christian faith. Paul could say, none of these things move me. That needs to be the testimony of a good church, a good assembly. Full of goodness, full of knowledge. But notice also there at the end of verse 14, full of grace. Able to admonish one another. You see, men and women who are equipped in the word are men and women who are able to articulate the word. Men and women who are able to rightly hold one another accountable to the word. Men and women who delight to be held accountable. Many there be who love to hold others accountable. Few there be who love to be held accountable. Friend, if we are to truly walk according to the principles of God's word, then a word spoken in season is what we should desire the most. And if we seek to be of influence in the lives of others, then we should have that desire to speak a word in season and to speak it seasoned with grace and love. So a mark of a good church is full of goodness, 
full of knowledge, full of grace, but full of understanding. Come to verse 22. Paul here is being very open with him. Remember, this epistle is a great doctrinal treatise. It contains many key truths, fundamental truths that we must understand, that we must more and more comprehend. We must apply in our lives and our teaching. But this is also a letter. It's a letter where he's personal. It's a letter where he's speaking to them from a position, yes, of authority, but a position of personal interest. He loves them. He cares for them. And he's saying here, as they made our way through these verses, he would love nothing more than to come to them. And he knows that they would love to see him, but he says in verse 22, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go to Jerusalem. Now notice verse 28. When therefore I have performed this, that's the engagement that he had to fulfill in Jerusalem and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So he writes to them and he says, yes, you have your desires. And yes, I know that I have my own desires, but I have a work given to me of God. And that work deviates from your desires. It deviates from my state of desires. But nevertheless, it's something I must do. So don't think that it's my lack of care. It's my lack of love that makes me take this other trip. No, understand that God has a different plan. How easy it is for us in a local church setting to get so consumed with the direction, the the choices, the decisions, those minutiae that make up the whole that we fail to implement the spirit of understanding. Oh, Paul, he speaks a great talk, doesn't he? But he never shows up. Oh, he says all the time that he loves us and he wants to be with us, but there he is again going somewhere else. This wasn't a spirit that was found. There was a spirit of understanding. And as believers, if we are to be part of a good assembly, then we must understand that we are different by background, that we are different by gifting, that we are different in the call to service that God has placed in our lives, that we are different in the seasons of life that we all find ourselves in, that we are different in the responsibilities that we all bear in this assembly and out of this assembly. We must be understanding one of another. Just because it's not done the way that you would prefer it to be done doesn't make it wrong. Just because they don't show up to every meeting that you're able to show up to doesn't make them any less of a believer or any less of a part of this assembly. There are many reasons, there are many valid reasons that people have. There are many obligations and duties. There are many battles and struggles. And you and I must be full of understanding. Oh, they're not here again. They promised me they would. What about the person who got up today and drove halfway to church but then turned back because he couldn't face it? What about those who for just to walk in those doors is a huge challenge and a huge burden? Ah, they're not really saved. They're not really walking with the Lord. They're backslidden. They're cold in heart. They call themselves a member. They're not even here. What about understanding? Understanding. 
The mark of a good church, full of goodness, full of knowledge, full of grace, full of understanding. Notice verse 30, full of prayer. Beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Here was a man who was willing to lay himself open before them. Why? Because he knew that they wouldn't judge him. They would understand all that was going on and they would commit him to the heavenly Father whom they all professed to believe in. They were a people of prayer. People who didn't have an opinion that was verbalized, but a people who went to the Lord in prayer. So if we are to be an assembly in which we, you, me, all of us together are refreshed, then we must be an assembly full of goodness. We must be an assembly full of knowledge. We must be an assembly full of grace. We must be an assembly full of understanding. We must be an assembly full of prayer. The mark of a good church. But you have the mark of a good minister. We use the term minister not because I'm reverting back to my Presbyterian days or about to turn up in a dog collar next week or anything like that, but just simply because I thought that that was exactly what the apostle here is striking at. He believes himself to be a minister, a minister of the gospel, a minister indeed of the message of the grace of God. And so I use that term because I think it's the most fitting and most appropriate for that which he has in, uh, in mind here. But In the whole, we're referring to those who have leadership, authority, oversight within this assembly. Not just myself, but others who hold the office of elder. And if the church is to know what it is to be a place of refreshing, yes, there's an obligation upon those who come to this church and call it their church home, but there's also an obligation, I believe, found here for those who hold authority or office within that church. So the mark of a good minister, I believe, first and foremost, is open communication. It's given to us in verses 22 through 28. For sake of time, we won't read it. But he was open why he wasn't coming to them. He didn't leave it up to speculation, hearsay, or gossip. He was open. To be in a position of leadership within a local New Testament church, I believe, means that we are good communicators. There should never be a question we shy away from. There should never be a time that we meet with people and then don't follow up. We should be open. We should be open. I lay that before you because I I desire to be held accountable to that. I can only speak personally, but that's my desire. Communication, I've been taught from a very young age, solves all problems. And I believe that communication, open communication is necessary in the church of God. Not only open communication, but obedient to duty. From 22 to 28, he's referring to the fact that he's been given an offering from the Gentile church to be going to the church at Jerusalem. It's his duty to go and to take and to carry that offering. And yes, he would have loved to deviate and to come unto them in Rome, but he had an obligation. There are certain obligations that God has placed upon ministers, elders, those who hold office within the local assembly, we must be obedient to the duty. We need your prayers so that we can be obedient because obedience comes easy to no one. But you must pray for us that we would be obedient to that which God has charged us with. 
Not also open to communication, obedient to duty, but observant of need. Found in verse 17, I have therefore where I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and by deed, through mighty signs, wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem round about unto Aquilium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul identified the need. Paul desired to meet that need. Oh, if we are to truly be those who fulfill the obligation and duties that God has placed upon us, we can't be church-centric. We have to see the need beyond these walls. We have to see a town that needs one for Christ. We have to see lives who once were connected with this fellowship who need to be reconnected. We need to tramp the streets and we need to energize and motivate the people so that we go forth from this place and win others for Christ. We must see and meet the need. But we must be overflowing with faith. 29 through 32. I am sure that when I shall come, I am sure, I am sure, faith. That when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with the joy by the will of God, and may be with you refreshed. Full of faith. There are many things that must be done. Many things that need to be done. The first duty, I believe, of anyone who would seek to serve in this church in a place of office-bearing is to be full of faith. A faith in a God who never fails. A faith in a God who is able to do the impossible and to work a work in our days. Yes, a day of small things, but a day whenever we have the lion's share of the small things because we are more than conquerors through his name. The mark of a good church, the mark of a good minister, the mark of a good relationship. The relationship between the oversight and the members of any local assembly can, at various seasons and instances, be strained and stretched. But the mark of a good relationship is the refreshing that should, can, and I say must be known each and every one of us as we come through the door. This should not be the place where the blood pressure goes the highest. It shouldn't be the place where the anxiety levels rise. It shouldn't be the place where we feel that others are condemning or judging. This should be the place that we're refreshed. This word refreshing, it's a unique word. It's not found again in the New Testament. It's only found twice in the Old Testament, the form of this word. It speaks very much to the intimacy that's enjoyed by a man and wife. That's the relationship that it should exist between believers. Where nothing should come between, but we're untainted undivided, undisputed love is always known. I know that that synergy would exist in this church, in this assembly. 
Because then the outcome produced in all our lives and through all our lives would far surpass the sum of anything I bring or anything you bring. Because together we will accomplish more. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of setting out with good intentions only to end up frustrated. Frustrated with others, perhaps, but no doubt frustrated with myself. How about that this year we set our stall together to pursue God and all that He has for us? You play your part in being a good church. I'll play my part in seeking to be a good minister. Together we'll enjoy the benefits of a good relationship. All want their lives to count for something, to leave their mark when life is through. But vain pursuits will count for nothing. Time will erase whatever we do. Inside my heart there burned a question, what was I placed on earth here for? It truly was to build a kingdom, not of my own, but of the Lord's. I want my life to count for Jesus, for earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. Father, help us all to do that which is required. that which thy word exhorts us to do. Help us to be a good church. Help us to be a good minister. Help us to enjoy the fruits of a good relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide.